Welcome to Supply Chain Next with your host, Richard Donaldson. Join us as we explore the ongoing evolution of supply chain, from the challenges professionals face every day to the ongoing digital transformation of the entire value network. And good morning and welcome to the next episode of Supply Chain Next. And I am thrilled uh, this morning to welcome Tiffany Standard to the show. Hey, Tiffany. Hi, good morning. Good morning. And, uh, uh, you know, again, you and I just briefly, briefly met about five minutes before this, but, you know, we've been <laughs> reading, you know, reading, getting ready here. And first and foremost, I have to say, I am uh, thrilled that you were able to even find the time in your schedule from not only being a CEO of a startup, right, being a radio producer and media personality and all the other accolades you've got. So I'm not even sure we have five minutes to your own self. So first and foremost, thanks for spending some time with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. Yeah, no, no, no problem. So l- let's just dive right into it. So the, the whole point here today is to talk a little bit, uh, you know, about you and kind of how you got into where you're at, how you also, uh, you know, again, most people who, oh, how should I say this, fall into supply chain I've met so far, it literally have fallen into it. It wasn't necessarily by design. So, so Tiffany, let's start with just a little bit, like, tell us, you know, who you are, where you came from, you know, it looks like from Philadelphia, what's your, what's your origin story as it were? Yes, I definitely fell into supply chain. So that is part of my story and been in it for now 15 years. So um, origin story, born and raised in Philadelphia, um, had a bunch of different um, jobs before I jumped into doing payroll vendor management. I had started a business called Prestige Concepts that was um, I was working part time where I was a front-end developer, um, creating websites um, and branding and marketing um, events for small to large companies. Oh, I'm sorry, um, let, me, let me pause for one second. You're a coder too? I am. Oh my God. Okay, so what don't you do? Let me, let me start with what <laughs> don't you do? <laughs> Jeez. Sleep mode. Yeah, right. I mean, I was going to say, where's that coming? Okay, sorry. So, okay, so coding and your, your prestige and doing some more. Okay, yep. Yeah, so I started Proceeds Concepts and it was running that part-time, it was working at a corporation, started in payroll, moved over to vendor management and just helping them basically build better relationships with their suppliers. And then I wanted to expand that and making sure that they were diversifying their suppliers because as I was running Proceeds Concepts part-time at the time, I was seeing a lot of amazing businesses that were trying to work with corporations that I was associated with. So I said, hey, there are amazing businesses that you could be working with and vice versa. How do I connect you to? So I started doing a lot of kind of B2B events at that time. And I was in my early 20s um, doing it. So it was, you know, interesting. Of At the time, I looked even younger than I probably do now. I, I, I was just about to say, you still look like you're in your early 20s. So... Uh... <laughs> I am not. I am not. I'm not. Okay. All right. I'm not. In, I'm not trying to go in there, and you know, I'm not trying to get age or anything. But you, yeah, yeah. I, I was like, okay, so you know, 22, 23. <laughs> I wish. I wish I could go back to the age sometimes, but no, I am definitely older. Okay. So imagine what I looked like at 21, 22 when I was working at these companies. Right. <laughs> so people always thought I was the intern. So yes. you know, I was always working extra hard to, you know, establish myself in business, establish myself as a pretty much the youngest executive at that corporation, Um, stayed there for a few years and really focused on this, you know, those relationships. And at the time, the recession was hitting, um, you had two choices, you can stay and see if you were going to get laid off, 
or you can volunteer to get laid off and basically know what package you are going to get. Um, so, you know, you can cast out your 401k, you got a bonus, you know, severance and all of that. And then at that time, um, the stimulus checks came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what stimulus is actually named after today because I already have the name of my current business proceeds concept of like, I really like this name. I want to use this in the future and not thinking that a whole another stimulus check situation would happen, right, right. you know, 50 years later, uh, but left that company and, and started running proceeds concept full time mm-hmm. um, and added vendor management as one of the services because I really enjoyed that back and forth between the businesses in addition to helping folks really update and, and digitize their, their websites. Um, and then that corporation about a year later became one of our first corporate customers. And then after that started working with a lot of different big companies doing a lot of that consulting work of like, how do you build better relationships with your, you know, your suppliers? How do you work better with local suppliers? But then also I started to look at like, we're spending so much money as corporations with these suppliers. How do we use them as a competitive advantage because you're helping them grow while they're helping you grow. So. Yep. Well, let me, for uh, it, so much stuff to unpack in there. And, and I think one of the things that I want to kind of immediately go to is, is you flew through that, you know, what strikes me is one, the characteristic you have here is just straight up motivation, right? You, you just like, you are just motivated to go out and solve issues and problems, right? Everything you described in there is about you wanting to just go get stuff done. So the question though, inherent in there is people are listening to this is a lot of people who might listen in, and I'm sure you've got this question a lot, right? Which is how do I become like Tiffany? How, how do I emulate you know, that perseverance or hard work or, you know, how do you inspire, you know, if someone from, you know, high school or college or something like that, you know, is just launching and listening in today, and no matter how you want to phrase it, how did you kind of find yourself? I mean, you, you rattled through all that and it sounds like you were just kind of doing things, but maybe as you reflect on that, was there more to it? What advice would you give someone who's kind of getting going today and wants to kind of fall in your footsteps a little bit? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think there's more now than what it was, you know, and at my age, you know, there was not social media at my age. So right. it already was, I went to Catholic school my entire life. So entrepreneurship wasn't a conversation. It was more about where you're going to work and what you're going to be typing. You know, we had mm-hmm. a lot of typing classes, not necessarily computer classes to learn how to be in technology, but just learn how to be a receptionist, basically. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until our senior year in high school, I went to all girls high school, Catholic high school. And for some reason, the new principal decided to bring a business class to the seniors for the last year. And it talked about um, like investing and starting a business, which was unheard of for Catholic school folks. And so I started to kind of get that, that, that bug at that time. And then at that time they were allowing you to work before it's like, no, just focus on your studies and focus on religion. And, you know, they finally started to assign us different jobs. So one of the jobs that I got was actually for a doctor's office mm-hmm. and he owned the doctor's office. He was an entrepreneur. I would work with him a couple of days a week. And we, you know, talked a lot about business. He was like, hey, you're really good at, you know, organizing. You're really good at this. You should, you know, start your business. So I started helping him and then helping other doctor's office do like marketing and events. I was just always really good with that in high school, which is hmm. crazy because people are like, you were pretty young. I was like, I was, but yeah, I was right. like, really good with it. So then when I finished, I continued to work with him. 
And he was like, you should start a business, you know? And I was like, how do you do that? So he kind of walked me through starting that business. Um, and we ended up, you know, kind of working together. And then I started going after different jobs, you know, just to kind of help with paying for things, um, in addition to working with him. And then I was always good with numbers, got into payroll and then ended up getting into vendor management because I was helping organizing a lot of events. So it, it was kind of, you know, speaking to someone that was doing it for a while and, and getting that early mentorship and then my own kind of like, hey, I want to do something different than what was around me, which was back and forth jobs and working two or three jobs that you were not happy with, which was happening in my neighborhood and, you know, within my family. And there was no entrepreneurs in my family. So mm -hmm. it really was kind of outside looking in of finding someone that said, hey, you can do something else. And I started, you know, working with him and then I got a job in a couple of different organizations and then got into payroll and vendor management. I literally was the youngest person in their entire department, which was right, kind of right. crazy. They always right. be like, yeah, she's older than you. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard that a lot. Thanks very much. Okay. Let me get back to this stuff. Right. Like, yeah, because uh, even when I decided to leave and I was decided to volunteer to get laid off after being there for a few years, the lady that was my boss at the time, she was like, why would you not stay and, and work here and, and, you know, just be here for 20, 30 years? I was like, I can't uh. do it. <laughs> I was like, um, I'm already doing my thing part time. and I think I can live off of this. And from that, you know, being laid off in that package and that stimulus check, I was able to fund stimulus for the first few years of my company. Right, right, right. Well, I, 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 again, I think there's you're well, you already come across I me. Mean, there's there's what I call a confident humility that you have about you. Right. And it's sort of my sort of favorite sort of Adam Grant-y kind of organizational behavioral psychological kind of term, but it's that, it's that, you know, when you attain confidence in what you know how to do, but equal confidence in what you don't know how to do yet, you retain that humility, right. That, that really breeds authenticity. Right. And that humility around, I really don't know what's going on, but I'm going to go figure it out. Right. You know, I'm not a know-it-all kind of thing. And, and that's, that you naturally have already, um, you know, but that I also think carries through in your ability to kind of go through all these things. And every time these people are like, oh, you know, whether it's Catholic high school, it's like, oh, you should be channeled into this thing and, you know, go do your whatever. And, you know, someone else in a job who's probably been there for 20, 20, 30 years themselves are like, oh, don't you want to work here for 20 years? And you're like, uh, yeah, no, <clears throat> no, I need to go kind of let myself run here a little bit. Cause obviously you figured a lot of this stuff just on your own from what I'm hearing. I mean, it's just a natural curiosity of, you know, why are you guys doing it this way? Why are you doing it this way? Can we do it better? That to me feels like one of the foundational kind of elements of just your own per you know, self. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It was just thinking that I just wanted something different than, you know, like I said, it wasn't entrepreneurship growing up. So I didn't even know what it was until I started meeting with different people and then, you know, getting my first job with an entrepreneur. And I was just like, oh, there's other options out here besides mm -hmm. just working a nine to five. And it was scary because you're used to just seeing that. I'm used to seeing, you know, my mom go to work two or three yep. jobs and, and people in my family. So to go out and say you're making your own job is kind of weird to say, especially in the early 2000s, you know. Well, especially when it's something, and again, this is one of those old so common characteristics of just humanity, right? People really resist change, even if it's good for them, right? I mean, it's one of the oddest things in the world to watch when you, and especially as a technologist, and we're going to get to that with your own experience, you know, technology can be 
frustratingly difficult for a lot of people, but it also, I mean, there's just no way you can overlook it. Technology has helped automate, make things easier. I mean, our lives are infinitely better because of technology, but it requires change, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, and, and people really like, you know, even the internet, go back to the beginning of the internet. I mean, for a long time, people really fought the internet itself, right? I mean, there was a huge group of people saying, oh, no, no, this is just a fad. Don't even worry about it, right? Um, you know, but even you bust through that. Computers, they fought having home Everything. computers. I remember when we got our first home computer, I was like the first one in my class to get one. I was just like, I was like, what do you need a computer at home for? I'm like, to do stuff, I don't know. <laughs> Into the gateway to the world or the universe. I mean, it's kind of like, so, so, okay. All right. And like I said, I got to be conscious here because I, I literally could spend a lot of time with you. So let me, let me kind of jump into the, so you clearly have a natural curiosity, clearly kind of a, just a, a, a perpetual asking, like almost an inner child that's just always there that just says why. Right. And I think that's, that's a beautiful thing. Right. I think that's what entrepreneurism is, you know, really just focused on always asking, why do we do it this way? Can we do it better? But then I don't want to lose sight of this. Somehow you segued into media broadcasting, you know, radio personality. So I, I don't, I mean, it's like, okay, you got this professional thing, but then all of a sudden, boom, you become a media celebrity. Like what's going on there? And how did you start a radio show that's been going on for 10 years? It looks like. Yeah. So in, you know, building stimulus and we really focused on brand enhancement. So um, bridging the gap between clients and their customers with technology, technology okay. solutions. So that was branding, marketing, business development and vendor management and partnerships. So um, and really just helping brands expand their presence, projects and partnerships was like my theme throughout building it. And so I became a massive networker. I went to <laughs> <laughs> massive events, every networking event possible. One, because I was trying to prove myself, even though at that time I did have some corporate customers, but as going back to my age and, and looking young, it's like I had to be in front of people and improve my skill set and, and showcase my, my work and, and meet folks. So I met and, and worked with um, the head of marketing and, and partnerships at Radio One. Mm -hmm. um, he became a friend, an advisor, a client. And, you know, when radio was really big before we started podcasts and all of that, um, they focused on getting businesses to advertise on radio, right? Um, getting vendors to vend at the radio events. So I worked with him to, to do so of helping them find local businesses that can be a part of these different events and, and also end up advertising, advertising at the end. Um, and then he had a radio show that he was working on. So part of my branding and marketing skills, I said, hey, how can I help you with your radio show? He was like, well, you can start um, producing it. So I started producing the show randomly, never produced in my life. Mm -hmm. um, but I had the skill set to do so because I was working on both ends. I was working in the marketing side. I was working on the business side. And he was like, well, I like your personality. So I did um, producing probably for about six months before he asked me to co-host with them. Oh, wow. and I said, okay, sure. So in addition to like booking the guests and booking the businesses, um, I was co-hosting with him every week um, and also going to events with him that allowed me to meet new businesses.
that that turned into two clients for me at the time, which was great. So it was a it was a win win. It was kind of getting me out my shell because I may not seem shy now, but I definitely was shy then because I think I was just trying to figure out who I was and what I was yeah. doing. Yeah. And like I said, proving myself because I look so young. So it was always just like, what should I say or should I have to stay behind the scenes? I was really a behind the scenes person. Um, so doing the radio show was like, hey, this is a way for you to get out of your show and meet new people. And um, unfortunately, he passed away probably a year or so afterwards of uh, of a heart attack. Um, and because I was doing so much work with Radio One at the time, um, they ended up giving me and one of his um, good friends the show. Mm-hmm. Um, we started co-hosting together. I continued producing it as well. And then that led to me doing some some work with NBC to, you know, Fox 29, um, so just different media things we talk about from technology to politics, to community, to business. Um, and now it's been almost 10 years, which is kind of crazy. Right. I mean, things happen fast or I should say, and the next thing you know, you blink and it's like, and and, and I'll tell you, because I think I got a little bit of age on you, just just on you. you know, right? And I'm just saying uh, it moves faster. So get ready. Uh, uh, but let me let me now this. Here's an interesting thing. So you also have an interesting kind of foot both generationally and then professionally in this next question, which is the different, you know, on a social influencing side, we see a lot of that, right? That's sort of the consumer social, you know, everybody's got to be a TikTok channel or IG this or whatever. And again, that's fine, right? And that's in the consumer world. And, you know, it it does have an impact. And that's, you know, where you get consumer marketing and consumer marketing principles, you know, little flash in the pants, you know, things can turn into viral brands almost overnight. We've seen that multiple times. Okay. So that's, that's sort of, I'll call that the consumer influencing world. That's probably about 10, 15 years ahead of the business influencing where I'm going to come with this because now you have the whole concept of business influencing, which is very different than consumer influencing. It's not the same thing, right? I mean, and we all are consumers and business people, right? Simultaneously. So my question to you is, is you also have an interesting perspective, both, you know, seeing kind of the, the social, you know, development of the consumer influencing that's happening, because even that's a lot more advanced than it was 10 years ago. Like you couldn't, yeah. you know, 10 years ago, you could just throw a, a picture up and, you know, next thing, now you got to kind of produce it. And there's got to be a little bit more behind it. And I mean, it's developed, it's evolved, right? So my question to you is, as someone who's probably seen both how do you kind of differentiate between consumer and business influencing? Because I feel like you probably have an insight into both. Yeah, that's a great question. And yeah, at the time I was out, it was MySpace and then Facebook would just start. MySpace. Oh my God. You, if, I, I wasn't even sure if you knew MySpace. Like, okay, now you're, now you're in my realm. I remember MySpace. Oh my God. No, we were on MySpace. And at that time I was, you know, treating it like what it is now, Facebook and LinkedIn, where you're putting your business information at the time. It was more used for music and all right. If you wanted to be a fake model, but right. <laughs> like, right, right. But yeah, and then Facebook started, and I remember um dating someone that was a part of it, and I was in the school at the time, and I was just like, how do I get on this Facebook thing? Yeah, right, 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 right. I mean, most people, and this is, it's so funny you bring that up because MySpace literally, like, I don't even think anybody even remembers my even the people who were on MySpace don't remember MySpace. Tom from MySpace, that was the universe, like he was inviting everybody to MySpace. Like, who the hell's Tom? Right. Right. That is so true. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, 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 yes. It's a big difference between consumer and business, um, you know, marketing and influencing, you know, I'm seeing, I'm starting to see more of businesses and people in tech be influencers now, right? 
right? And before it was just like, you're just posting about what you're doing and what you're eating. And, and that was a quote unquote real job in the beginning of the social media rage and Twitter and all of that. And now it's important as a business person or a business woman to um, be a thought leader and actually have something going on because now people, if you're putting it out there, people are going to reach out to you and research it and make sure that you're actually telling oh, the truth. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't put out anything. Right. And now it's like, if you're going to be an influencer, understand that influence means that people are going to verify that you actually have a business and a successful business and you have experience in that business or at least you know how to solve the problem because you experienced the problem. Because you have a lot of new people in tech that they maybe didn't have the experience in supply chain, but they saw a problem, they decided to solve it. So even if you don't have 10, 15 years on that subject line, it's like I experienced it, whether it's through personal or other people in my network, I can solve it because I have an understanding of it. So Mm -hmm. I think it's understanding that people are just verifying a lot more than they had before compared to what they were doing in the beginning stages of consumer influencing. Yeah. And I think, I think you've touched on something that, that I've also talked about too, which is that thought leadership influencing, right? It's, it's, and, and it's key thought leadership, right? In, in business versus the consumer, right? I always make the stark comparison between LinkedIn versus Facebook, real simple, right? Both at the end of the day are real social network platforms, ones for business and ones for personal. Right. And you couldn't possibly be any different between how you behave, act and see and post and everything. And that, that really kind of is this stark difference between consumer influencing and business influencing. And I still think the script, as it were, is being kind of uh, uh, written with the business influencing as you see people on LinkedIn starting to figure out like, cause it's you know, every now and then you kind of, I mean, I think the one thing we can say for sure is, you know, the minute you see a cat video on LinkedIn, people are like, ah, get off here with that. Right. Go to Facebook. Right. Or you know, like, uh, even a vacation picture. Yeah. Right. Oh God. Yeah. Anything. Right. It's like, listen, I don't need, you know, your whatever. Again, it's not that it's bad. It's just like, yeah. It's like, there's, I just got to have a little bit of a difference here. And, right. and, but then, you know, and again, not to be trite, but in the consumer land, it can be very emotionally driven, right? So it can appeal to fear or love or whatever it is that someone trying to get there. And that can virally kind of, again, it's very emotionally based. But with business, it's very, uh, I hate to call it, it's ones and zeros. It's practical. It's, it's how does this actually solve a problem, right? And if it doesn't, I'm going to move on real fast because I don't have time in my day, right? I have to have practical solutions, which is an interesting segue because I think that's also kind of the fundamentals of supply chain itself, right? It's a very practical organization. It has been the most overlooked part of the enterprise, you know, ever since its inception. Um, And you kind of, you've you've now also, and I want to bring it into stimulus here because not only have you had your experiences that you've gone through, but you've also, you now are building a true, a platform that is out there to connect suppliers and do, let's talk about that for a little bit here. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, again, obviously supply chain we're big on, but, but, you know, supply chain is pretty big too. You obviously have spent a lot of time in relationships. So there's a theme here. I can see that theme kind of comes through and what you're trying to build with stimulus, but what's, what's the story there? And you guys have been at it for a while. So clearly it's, it's, you know, it's doing something. Yes. So yes, I, when I was thinking of launching stimulus or even just getting, more digitized or how I was working within the supply chain area. So started, you know, as a buyer at a corporation working with vendors and then became an entrepreneur 
and then became a buyer and a vendor, right? And I think companies and people forget that. Like people always say like, oh, you know, when we're putting business on the platform, like how many suppliers do you have? I'm like, all businesses are suppliers. All businesses are buyers. I don't care if you're B2C or B2B. Right. So that's understanding that first. And from going from, you know, being a buyer to being both a buyer and a vendor, I understood that something was always missing in mm-hmm. the work that we were doing. And it always came back to, you know, the, the relationships. And I was on a lot of different systems over the years, you know, buying and then signing up to, to vent at these different corporations and, and being in their repositories and, and sitting in their repositories. And, you know, part of it was like networking and, and meeting in person and building relationships. Mm-hmm. And so when I was thinking of launching Stimulus, I kept coming back to that word relationship and looking at what was in the market that, you know, focused on sourcing or focused on vendor management and everything seemed and was so transactional, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you were actually closing the business and trying to get that business, it was all about relationships. Right. So I said, something is missing with that. So I knew when launching this platform, we needed a new title for it. We needed a new name for it. And I was starting to see this whole relationship intelligence trend um, hmm. in the customer you know, industry or in the employee industry. But I always say when it comes to your vendors and suppliers, they're your external team, right? Mm-hmm. They're helping your internal team do their jobs. Mm-hmm. So it never felt like people, as you said, cared about the fact that you're spending so much money with these businesses that you have either very little data on them, or if you have a lot of data on them, the data is all over the place that it doesn't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in launching Stimulus, it was about how do I digitize how B2B relationships are built from the time that you're sourcing to the time that you're paying that company um, and just bring it all in one place. And, and then, you know, really tracking that relationship over time. I think for me, it was also looking at all of my years of experience of working with these corporations that I always felt like I was reselling myself to every single company. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, I've been working some of the largest publicly traded companies in the world. And yet, it seems to mean nothing to you, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was like, how do I digitize that and showcase that to you mm-hmm. um, within a platform and allow others to do the same, right? Um, and going beyond, you know, the capability statements and the PDFs that people ask you to send that really doesn't give you, give a full, you know, long list of things that you actually have done. Mm-hmm. Um, so Stimulus is a relationship intelligence SaaS platform that uses data insights, relationship building tools, and a proprietary score to really help companies make the best sourcing and purchasing decisions while Mm -hmm. also growing and optimizing their supplier ecosystem. So understanding who you're already working with and who you could be working with, right? Right, right. Um, Really just making it more efficient for companies to choose the right suppliers, but then also fulfill business objectives such as diversity, equity, and inclusion, by really easily comparing suppliers using relevant metrics and data points, and then quickly matching them to available contract opportunities real time. Mm-hmm. That was something I also was seeing that was missing. You would go to these events, you would sign up to be in these people's repositories for possible opportunities, and you would just sit there. And I wanted something where you would quickly go from sourcing, you'd be able to search what you're looking for and say, hey, this team is buying this, or we're about to buy this in 12 to 24 months. 
And it's important for a business, especially a small business or a diverse business, to have that information as soon as possible. Right. But the thing is, once an RFP goes out, you're already lost the business if you don't already have a connection with that company. Right. So it's helping you kind of build relationships up as quickly as possible. And then for us, it's significantly, you know, driving down the billions of dollars lost in aggregate due to inefficient interactions between companies and their suppliers. So really, you know, helping to improve their bottom line and, and profit margins, in addition to making sure that they're making more diverse, equitable and inclusionary um, purchasing decisions. Absolutely. And I think I think you've got a phrase in there that that I heard a few times and, and I, I, I'd love to highlight it, but relationship intelligence. Yeah. And I think that's a really insightful way of looking at this because, you know, and again, not every relationship is the same. You might be buying this commodity good, but depending on your relationship status, which is a bit of a fuzzy math kind of thing, you know, that purchasing decision, you know, may come down to, you know, again, very, very strict, you know, here's my spreadsheet, but then there's some emotional quotient yeah. that happens at the end. And that's sort of that relationship kind of thing that can help kind of move this. So, Okay, so even doing that, even getting into this, I mean, this is something that's, you know, and I think you also hit on a, again, this relationship, I think it's really fascinating because you talk about, you know, at the very highest level, on the one hand, you got the CFO who's going, okay, I'm strictly looking at dollars and cents. And then you've got the procurement managers and the vendor managers that are in more relationship kind of modes, right? And they're not the same thing. So how have you seen that change or evolve? And obviously we have got diversionary inclusionary decisions as well too. And I think that's super important. That's sort of a, you know, a newer trend, obviously, but let's just throw that in the mix. How do you see where we are today with that whole concept of global vendor management and where do you kind of see that going given where you are now in the next you know, four or five, six years? I mean, that's, that's, it is changing. But how do you like if you if the, you were a new vendor or you were a new buyer today? How would you advise them to approach their jobs differently if you were coaching them? You know the new procurement managers of the or supply chain managers of the future. How do they how do they view what they need to go do? How do they make better decisions? Yeah, great question. So we're now seeing you know supply chain logistics is is really rapidly growing, and you know according to many reports that have come out in the last couple of years, it is nearly a ten trillion dollar market. You know. Mm-hmm. And then even over the last two years, you know, witnessing, you know, executive orders on the importance of American supply chains and resilience and local buys and all of that. So thankfully, you know, the the need of visibility and understanding who you're paying and why you're paying them has increased. And it's going to increase pre-COVID, but COVID just expedited a few years or a decade or two. Yeah. Um, so that's been great to see. And then, of course, supply diversity and making sure that you're across the board reflecting the world that we live in and across the board working with great companies. So I'm advising companies that you know we are working with and looking to work with, like it's important to understand who you're working with and by and mm-hmm. why, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we started to see the importance of sourcing and procurement, how much money is actually wasted. And it's making sure that you understand that we can help you digitize this already highly manual process um, and understanding that, as I say, so much it's, it's your suppliers are your competitive advantage in addition yeah. to your employees and your, your customers. And, you know, for many years, even though there's a lot of different platforms out there, I have always felt like that they still have been starved of 
the personnel, technology, and innovation that they've needed to grow. So it's understanding that, hey, your business can grow because the businesses that you're working with are here to help you. And now you'll have more data and visibility on them to bring your product to market, bring your service to market, whatever it is that you're doing as a business, whether you're B2B or B2C. Mm-hmm. And understanding that it's only going to get bigger and better when it comes to the information now that you can obtain on your suppliers. And I'm even thinking of like an external supplier or chart the way you have it internally, because it's so important to understand those companies. And now your customers and your employees care about who you're buying with. They care if that company has bad price. They care about what they're doing in other countries. Like people actually care about that information. They always have, but I think it's come to the forefront that they care Mm -hmm. about even more when things come out in the news, especially. So now it's important for you to do your job to understand what others are doing as well. So it's a light bulb went off in my head, whether you intended it or not, to bring full circle back to a couple of things that we just talked about, which is the role of business influencing today Hmm. in what you just described, right? I mean, you think about now in the world of consumer, right? I can pretty much, you tell me someone's name, I probably can find out a lot about them right? You know, through their consumer footprints, if you will, that are left online because they're, you know, we're used to kind of having that out there. Business hasn't quite got up there. You know, businesses are about 10, 15 years behind consumers. However, they're following a similar trajectory. And this goes back to the role of business influencing. Now, all of a sudden, people are paying attention. You just talked about this for the last two, three, four minutes around who am I buying from? Who are they? What do they do? Now, if that business is thinking about marketing in a business influencing style versus a traditional, you know, let me hammer people on how to, you know, buy stuff. Cause I think that's, that just doesn't even work anymore. You know what I mean? The whole direct, like I'm going to you know beat you into submission to buy something is just not really relevant today anymore. Cause people are like, well, I have too many choices. <laughs> I don't need to be browbeat. Right. Um, and that's so true here. So, so I, 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 you know, I wonder, you know, as you think about even where you're at in the, in the cross section and development and roadmap of stimulus, but even your own thoughts of how do you advise now these future suppliers, right? Who are who are buyers in their own right? You know, they're enterprises. But how do they now take this, not only kind of market their goods, but begin to influence through thought leadership and influence through kind of business communications like you've also done yourself? How does that how does that function evolve in either stimulus or just in the in the in the in the in the community? I love that question because that's what we're working on now. We we call it um adding to your data points. (laughs) Um, You know, what we're seeing now that most B2B commerce has happened in person over the years, but now portion of B2B commerce is occurring through e-commerce, right? So consumer experience turning into a business experience and them taking from the consumer experience to do better B2B marketing, right? So digitized online payments, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and and buying without even seeing that person in, in, in person. So one of the things I am advising suppliers on is adding to your data points and making sure. So for us, we put, you know, add up to 90 plus data points on all suppliers in our system. Mm-hmm. And that's from transactional information to social information. So adding, you know, different integrations that allow you to see um, information and news on them, anything that they're posting. Um, is really important because they're looking at those data points. So if they're mm-hmm. not meeting 
person, if they're not meeting you at a conference, how are they finding out about your company uh, beyond the, the original capability statement that you sent um, and making sure that you have that information centralized in one place. So for us, it's us bringing all of that information um, that so you can, you know, with a few clicks, that information can be highlighted and compared and connected across all suppliers when a buyer is making a, a decision. And either whether they're looking in their own supply chain or looking in the stimulus ecosystem outside of their supply chain. So for us, it's making sure, especially for smaller companies that may not have as many data points out there in the world. And I say data points, meaning media and mm, press, right. yeah, totally, yeah. all of that. Um, and making sure that those smaller companies are listed alongside established suppliers, bidding, fitting from the same visibility and that access, their achievements, their product offerings, you know, as I mentioned, could be compared and measured. So when you're thinking of, you know, two different companies, if you're looking at a larger company, you're looking at a smaller company mm-hmm. and that larger company, let's, let's give an example of like Nike, right? Yeah, yeah. Looking to buy sneakers for your team for a retreat. You look at Nike. Okay. Nike is the big company. We all know Nike. Great. And then you're looking at a small women-owned, you know, sneaker company um, that's two miles from you, right? Mm-hmm. They're women-owned, they're two miles from you and you can customize those sneakers. So now there's three extra data points that Nike doesn't have. They're not two miles away. They're not women-owned and you definitely can't customize Nike. You buy you buy straight out the box. So right. it's looking at those three data points that's in addition that can help that buyer make a decision that we're showcasing that's different from that normal kind of transactional information that you have on businesses. But now I'm like, these extra three data points, yeah, they're a smaller company, yeah, they're not a billion dollar company, but they help with our diversity goals. They're close, so they're reducing our carbon footprint. And I can customize them to get the things that we need actually for, for our, you know, for our team that we're buying specifically for. So it's right. like those things that bring it all together, um, that helps that buyer make a decision and helps that smaller company, you know, kind of surpass and benefit from the same visibility and access that a larger company may have. Hundred percent. And 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 let me let me double click on that for one second because as you were going through that in a great explanation. Um, but as I was thinking and I was thinking through like your experience, you know, with this, but so as consumers, like, and you talk about, well, let's just talk about consumer experience, right? Like, I mean, oftentimes, you know, when I'm marketing to consumers, it's one person buying one thing at one time, it makes them feel good, you know, pretty kind of just boil it down. Right. But one of the fundamental differences is, is that consumer, when they make a purchasing decision, that consumer can never be fired from their job. Right. <laughs> that is true. But in the business world, you can be fired for making the wrong decision, working with a supplier a certain way. I mean, that's that's a fundamentally different modality you have to start thinking about empathetically because there's a driving. I mean, you know, worst case scenario, I get a pair of jeans or a pair of shoes that don't fit right. I send them back. Okay, no big deal. I might lose my job if I make the wrong decision. Right. And that's that is like a sort of Damocles hanging over those people's heads, right? So there's a and there's a fundamentally different kind of risk factor that goes into that. So how do you see that kind of playing out in some of these decisionings? Because I mean, there's certainly the you know, yes, I want to be close. Yes, I want to have all the options that you kind of went through. But even underneath that, there's still a big difference between I'm buying a pair of shoes for myself or I'm buying a whole set of things for my company. You know, there, there's more that goes into that into my decision. Right. So it comes back to the importance of being data driven. Right. Right. 
So, you know, having a place where you have reliable data-driven information that could, you know, talk about what is being purchased and more importantly, from who, but because of, as we mentioned, years of not caring about these roles, it's taking a while for somebody actually to get fired for this. Yeah, right. Um, but now people are, right? Cool. Because if you purchase from an organization, you know, I keep thinking of, <laughs> I keep thinking of the Baronals and Walgreens. Story. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, that's, that's one. That's on one of the, yeah. I keep thinking about that. And I saw the whole story on, yeah. on Hulu of how they basically, you know, work with this company without actually verifying information. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so right. Right. That's a right. Perfect example. They became a vendor. I think they spent like $170 million. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what happened to the, the team, but that's a perfect example. Um, so it's even more important for them to have the right data the risk information to make those decisions. So visibility and platforms like Stimulus become even more important because that person in their role has always made the decision by their own personal decision making. It was mm-hmm, never mm-hmm. Uh, or relationships, right? They heard, they met this person, right. they were introduced to this company and said, okay, we're going to try them. So it was never fully data-driven the way it should have been, mm-hmm. whether it's making a purchase or deciding on a diverse company versus a non-diverse company. It was always just, I'm going to decide if we are going to buy Slack over Microsoft Teams, right? right? right. So now it's important to say, why are we buying from this company? Who are we buying from? Are they local? Are they diverse? Are they national? Are they global? Um, and does this save our company time and money? And does this fit, you know, within our profit margin? So it's across the board, the importance of it, that it's not just up to you personally, but it's up to the data to say, this is why we're buying from this company, or this is why we're not buying from this company. Totally, totally. And, 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 and I'm going to segue just a bit beyond the, um, the decisioning here revolving around kind of the, the supplier, the supplier choices, maybe the products, you know, how you evaluate into another part of ESG, which is the sustainability or circularity. That's a huge topic, you know, and you're also in an interesting place because you are at the intersection of the suppliers prepping to sell their goods into these buyers. The buyers are in the decisioning process and that checklist of things that they're kind of running through and their due diligence is changing a little bit, right? And certainly the diversity is one, but right there probably equivalent or maybe, you know, however is sustainability. And I kind of jump right into circularity for that. How do you see circularity and sustainability playing out in even what you guys are doing both at Stimulus and just your own vantage point of what's going on in the world? Yes, that is definitely a very important important topic. And, you know, we work across industries, but we've been really focused on healthcare, professional services, and um, education. Okay. And healthcare, especially, is thinking about, you know, looking at sustainability and a circular economy, especially because throughout COVID, you know, it was a lot of conversation of non-disposable PPE and, right. and you know, you walk down the street, you see masks everywhere, which is not good for the environment right. and all of that. Right. It was just all of that. So we are, you know, as we're working to connect them with companies and making sure they're able to put that that data point in our in our you know platform to say, hey, how do we search, evaluate, and select a company that is focused on that and truly focused on that, meaning either expanded their product or services to you know be more sustainable, or they're now offering a product 
that is more sustainable. So they're able to put that information within the platform to say, hey, you know, and if that company's two miles away or five miles away, which is also helping to reduce your carbon footprint of, hey, I can buy this in my backyard versus buying it in another country mm-hmm. and have more visibility on what I'm receiving than what I actually receive sometimes from another country. So mm-hmm. it that has definitely increased. And as we're working you know, with these suppliers. So our biggest thing is collecting all of the data points that we can on a supplier, but also how do we help you add to your data points? For me, mm-hmm. it's going beyond just, you know, collecting it. So as we're thinking of working with, you know, smaller diverse companies and the partnership that we have with a lot of corporations and how do we get you not up just obtaining a contract, but maintaining that contract. Sure. You know, we just launched a, a partnership with um, an organization called Now Account that helps you, you know, get prepaid for a contract that you have if you're waiting for 75 days or 90 days on their payment terms, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. of that nature um, to make sure that you're able to create your product throughout the time frame that you get that contract. So by the time the contract ends, you're fully paid. So right. it's also just looking at ways that we can help these companies, you know, sustain themselves. Um, and grow into a spaces because when you become sustainable and you know focusing on the circular economy, it gets expensive because you're not now buying a cheap product to make your product. You're buying something that's a little bit more premium that maybe is recyclable, that's a little bit more expensive. So then you may have to raise your pricing. So it turns into a whole process that you have to prepare for um, to work with certain companies that are focused on it and as you're trying to focus on it yourself. Right. And let me ask you a question on that because, and, and I agree with you in the sense that you know, anytime we change something again, tends to be a little bit more expensive, right? I mean, it's just, an, it's just supply and demand, whatever you want to call it, you know, moving to commodities and recycling has been around for a while. It's not like it's new, right? right. But when it comes to enterprises and businesses, it seems like, you know, I, I feel like I'm back in 1960, you know, like when it comes to, you know, just even recycling, right? I mean, you know, all of us as consumers, we're used to separating our garbage and things of that nature, but I feel like I, I, I'm literally talking to a brick wall sometimes with the businesses where I'm like, do you even do you even know if you recycle stuff? And 99 times out of 100, they're like, I have no idea. I'm like, well, okay, let's just start there. <laughs> right? Right? Like, let's start at the beginning, right? Right. right. Uh, and then again, it goes back to your data and everything. So, so you know, kind of where I'm, I'm headed into it is, I think the perception is often that, hey, I want to kind of start a program in circular, but it's going to cost me more. But is that really true? Because it's it's sort of one of these sort of chicken and egg things. Because once more people do it, it's going to drive the cost. It's like it's like renewable energy. You know what right. I mean? Like initial you know, cost is renewable is, energy is yeah. solar compared to where it was thirty years ago is infinitely cheaper today. Right. Just based on commoditization. So it's it's one of these things we have to make. At some point, you just have to dive in, right? right. I mean, there's just no other way around it. You know, um, how do you see that trend kind of playing out over the next you know handful of years? Yeah. So the initial cost is expensive, right? And like you said, until everyone is doing it, then it'll drive down the cost. Like we just got rid of what plastic bags at supermarkets. Totally, <laughs> like, right, right. You know what I mean? And everybody's trying to do, I call the the, the star of the show, the target bags that you yep. see all over the world. Now. Yep, totally. Uh, so even, you know, looking at things of that nature and the trend is increasing and, you know, larger companies are now expecting smaller companies to, you know, focus on it. I'm hoping that they, you know, <laughs> um, add to their payment for, yep. for them expecting to it because it's easier for a larger company than a smaller company to dive in to it. Um, but we're starting to see it and I hope that it increases because it, it, as we see, you know, 
every year the effects of global warming, right? Yeah, right. And as businesses, we're talking about it more because, you know, places that are hot is cold, places that are cold is hot, you know? Yeah, I mean? right, right, right. It's upside down land, right? Yeah, everything is changing. So I think as long as larger companies support the smaller companies with the increase in pricing until it drives down, until there's enough people doing it, I think um, smaller businesses and medium-sized businesses can actually grow into it um, and be successful. And it'll be mm-hmm. you know, a win-win for both sides. Yeah, totally. 100%. And, and, and I think it's a great way to kind of look forward now even further, which is, you know, uh, we're coming out of this Whatever one of these last few years, this this lunacy, right? Like right. we're kind of winding down the summer, but let me let me look forward now. Now, kind of getting back into you know a normal working order, right? Travels out there, we're interacting with everyone, which is great, fabulous, right? How about you? What does that mean for you and what you do? How does that change anything around either you know stimulus, which is going, and now new funding? The radio shows, or I mean, again, I, I just have a sinking suspicion that you're going to tell me you're going to be like basically circumnavigating the globe on some media tour here over the next couple of years. So what, 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 you know, I mean, but literally like what, 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 you know, you, you know, we're kind of released from our prison as it were, what's up with, what's up with you for the next couple of years? You know, I mean, that's got to be pretty, in one sense, I can already see the enthusiasm. So what, 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 what do you got going on? Yes. Yeah, so great point. So it's, it's a two part, right? So we're, yeah. we're getting back to conferences. We're getting back to seeing people in person and planning events and dinners and meeting with our customers, uh, especially the large corporations in person. Um, but we're also trying to stick with what we know and what we've seen, which is the importance of you know, digitizing B2B purchasing online as well, that you don't always have to meet someone in person. Totally. To- Died on a purchase. So we're still trying to keep that intact, right? Like mm-hmm. increase with COVID is really important mm-hmm. uh, to showcase that because sometimes a small business doesn't have the money uh, to go to a conference and network and meet those people, right? So mm-hmm. we have to make sure that that continues and grows, but also know it's a different feeling when you get to meet someone in person and shake their hand and all of that. So I think that that has definitely come back. I just went to, you know, the WeBank conference. I'm going to a healthcare conference and I'm going to an insurance conference soon. So oh my God. A lot of conferences back to back where I'm like, okay, let me meet some people in person because we are now building um, the brand of Stimulus. You know, we just closed on our seed round 2.5. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Which we'll be announcing in the next week or two with amazing investors from Northwestern Mutual to Morgan Stanley to Refashion uh, Ventures, who's a big supply chain expert in the world. And we just have amazing um, people that is supporting us and that are advisors for us. And so announcing that, but also making sure there I'm showcasing my thought leadership because there's not enough, you know, black and brown women, um, especially talking about supply chain and talking about margins and talking about building relationships with their external team, which is their investors, um, uh, their suppliers. And I, you know, started these events called Supply and Demand, focused on highlighting black and brown women's voices and how they're navigating supply chain issues because we're never in, invited to speak on these subject matters. We're always invited hmm. to speak on what is it like to be black in tech and what is it like to be a woman in tech? I'm like, right. talk about something else. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, well, I, I, that's actually kind of interesting. I'm, I'm actually kind of curious about that because I, I, I guess I come from the, the the latter camp of just meritocracy where it's like, let's just talk about what you do. Uh, right. Can we get past that, right? Like, <laughs> right? Like, like, we, don't, we don't get those questions. Okay. 
So I started supplying the man where I'm just really elevating my voice and yep. their voices on, you know, their firsthand knowledge of getting a product to market and disrupting traditional categories from healthcare to, you know, feminine care to, you know, you know, food and telling their stories and navigating those issues. So over, you know, the next few months is highlighting stimulus and the work that we're doing, the partnership that we have and the amazing corporate support that we have and my team, mm-hmm. um, but also highlighting supply and demand and other voices um, because, you know, one of the most crucial elements to a successful, uh, to being successful is having a handle on your supply chain and right, people right. don't understand supply chain. It's across any industry that you're in. I don't care if you're doing a service. I don't care if you're, you know, building a physical product, you have a supply chain. And I think people finally understand what that means. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited about that. Um, we just got featured in Inc. Magazine because they're now highlighting supply chains. So yeah, right, right, right. Go figure. Like, I mean, it's like people are talking about supply. So I think I think I saw it on your site. Supply chain yeah. is becoming sexy. Yes. Oh, I said, um, what did I say? I said. You're making um, supply chain sexy making, or something? Yeah, making supply chain sexy. Yeah. Uh, because it, it was that normal, quote unquote, boring topic. Right. But I feel like we're in the fun part of supply chain where yeah. it's like, Everything you have, you touch, you use is from a supply chain. It's from a business that's supplying it. So I'm trying to make it an interesting topic of you're excited when you get your Peloton. You're excited when you get your computer from your office and it's coming from a business that's a part of a supply chain. So Mm -hmm. trying to um, make it more fun, sexy, just like fintech became sexy. It's like you want money. You need money. You need money money now it's a sexy topic to talk about fintech so i'm starting to see that with supply chain and i did a um supply chain and logistics um um talk at a, a conference a couple of weeks ago and i had a room full of people which i was very surprised about i was like right. Hey, hey right 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 like oh my god people are showing up for supply chain what the <laughs> People care. They're asking me questions. They're like, hey, how do I do this? And how do I get this product here? And I'm like, thank you for asking. And well, then- and, and, and you know, that's, I mean, Brian's all about the world is a supply chain, right? Uh, Refashion Ventures. And, and I think it is one of these things that it's so obvious that oftentimes we just never saw it, but every single human being is a part of the supply chain. Exactly. Whether they know it or not. I mean, they are a part of the supply chain. They're either a consumer or a producer or oftentimes both. Right. And it's not binary. So and I think that even, you know, has changed a little bit. So, it's, I mean, it's one of these times where, you know, even throughout, I would say, kind of capping and I want to be conscious time here, but looking back on the career, you know, and kind of everything you've done, what I'm hearing is there is a consistent theme of just curiosity. Right. And the also kind of that 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 bullish attitude of I'm just going to get stuff done. And I'm also hearing a recurring theme about, you know, Tiffany standard. That is when someone says you can't do it, you're going to go do it anyways. Right. That's the way to get you going. (laughs) And that's kind of entrepreneur too. You know what I mean? Like that's just, that's just entrepreneurism, right. Is usually the entrepreneurs, the ones that are like, they, they, every time someone says no, the entrepreneur is like, oh yeah. All right, good. I'm in. Let's go figure this out. Right. Uh, Yeah. Go figure it out. Um, But then also you've also kind of fallen into some things as well too, that just naturally your you know chance favors the prepared. You you kind of fell in and made the most of it all the way through your career here and continue to do that. And I think that's so you've you've somehow kind of either whether whether you look back on it and thought there was a plan or or there wasn't, you've you've found yourself at this intersection that is like one of the most dynamic moments in history in business around the digitization of supply chain 
Um, and you are a voice in the community doing that. So, I mean, it's just a, it's a really an amazing story. It's really cool. Thank you. Thank you so yeah. much. It definitely wasn't the plan. And like you said, I think sometimes the universe plans it out for you and you end up just staying in something that you're meant to be in. And then you end up growing within the, the market and the industry. So it's been yeah. an interesting journey. <laughs> yeah. Well, but it's, it's continuing to go. And I think, I think you've also got that, that authenticity around everything that you do that is also as it is something I was going to throw in there. Cause I think businesses can also learn from that. I mean, one of the things that's also happening in the I'll call it the pulling back the curtain of the world to create everything more transparently, including who businesses are and what they do. Authenticity is a big deciding factor in the, in the world moving forward, right? Are you a business who says what you mean and mean what you say? Because yeah. bullshit is not going to really be persistent moving forward. People are tired of that, both in being, being marketed to or being sold to or being you know, again, not even to get political, but even in the world of politics, I don't care which side you're on, People are just tired of BS. They just like Jesus. Can't people? <laughs> what yeah. happened to honesty? Right? Like, oh my god. Like I said earlier, like people are verifying what you say is true, and, and right you say that your building is actually what you're building, and looking at who you're working with, who you're hiring. If you're say you're one thing, when you hire someone, it's totally opposite of that. It's like people are actually putting that information out there on Twitter. And if they say they will, you know, quickly stop following you and quickly stop buying from you, which I, I love to see that quote unquote social capital of people that they can influence people to, to do right and make a better decision when it comes to why, why are you purchasing? Even as a consumer, like, why are you purchasing from this company? Why are you still, you know, supporting this company and companies and, and people are like really thinking about that now? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. 100%. So, so let me just sort of uh, wrap up here. And again, like I said, I you look at this hour flies by, you talk about 10 years flying by. I mean, an hour like is like a blink of an eye here. I, I think we could go on for days here. Um, but let me let me ask and kind of in summation, you know, any kind of parting thoughts, but then also kind of like, what are you up to over the next month or two? I mean, we're kind of winding summer down, you kind of highlight a few things, you've obviously got your, you're open to networking on LinkedIn. That's obvious. That's how we met uh, through, through Brian and LinkedIn. Um, so people can find you there. People can find you on your radio show, which is on Sundays uh, uh, out there if they want to tune to that. I'm yeah. clearly founding CEO of Stimulus. They can find you there. So but then I'm sure you're also speaking in a bunch of places too. what's going on over the next couple of months for you. Yeah, well, the next couple of months, it's, you know, within Stimulus, it's, it's growing the brand, brand awareness, highlighting um, our partners and our customers, um, and then making sure that we're highlighting supply and demand, because even though it's it's focused on other women and other companies, it's, it's focused on supply chain, and it's focused on giving you tips and tricks of how to navigate your supply chain. Um, so really highlighting that and the work of just amazing companies that I know that are in my network and some that are not in my network that will, you know, join my network afterwards. So, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, focusing on our relationships that we have, um, we're hiring, which is great, um, across engineering data and sales. So reach out if you're looking for a position right. rapidly. Um, and then for me, yes, I'm, you know, increasing my speaking um, across different conferences and events focused on my thought leadership and supply chain. And one good thing I'm starting to see that people are considering supply chain under future of work. Yes. So I've had some amazing conversations um, recently and, and some that are coming up that people understand that your supply chain is a part of future of work. And I'm looking forward to, to showcasing my thoughts on that. Um, and then closing out the year strong and we're prepping already for, for 2023. 
Um, and just excited to see the conversation continue, not only with, you know, building better relationships with suppliers, but also diversifying people's supply chain. Okay. And and just, just to get it out there. So stimulus is www.stimulus.com. Is that the URL? It's um, getstimulus.io. There we go. Good to me. So I, know. And then I wish you could have got that com, but it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, that's a little, I mean, you know how it is now. Like, you yeah, got to you gotta be thinking down. 50 years out with the naming <laughs> convention. Jesus. Like, I mean, exactly. Everything's gone. But I, I, awesome. Listen, Tiffany, like I said, I want to be conscious of your time. Amazing conversation. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. I know we're going to continue into the future, but I just, you know, again, highlight everyone can find you on LinkedIn. People can find you at, you know, Stimulus, uh, um, uh, the website. Uh, they can find you on your radio show. Um, and you are, you are, I mean, it's going to be fun to keep track of it and, 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 you know, see where things go over the next, you know, next few months, and a few, few years. Awesome. Thank you so much for this. Thank you. I'm supply chain all day. So you got <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll talk later. Have a great weekend. You too. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments about this episode or topics on supply chain you'd like us to cover, you can reach us at supplychainnext at requis.com. And while you're at it, check out the Requis platform at supplychain.requis.com. Requis allows you to manage the full asset lifecycle in the cloud while collaborating with your entire value network to buy, manage, and sell your assets. Find out more at requis.com.